Hey everyone, I'm Nathaniel Williams from the Christ and Culture podcast, and before we hop into today's episode of The Scent Life, I wanted to share one brief opportunity with you. Do you want to equip students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission? Here's one simple way to do so. Giving Tuesday. Giving Tuesday is on Tuesday, November 29th, and we at Southeastern Seminary are aiming for 500 gifts by the end of the day. Your gift, no matter how small, plays a critical role in preparing our students for ministry preparation around the world. And get this, every gift will be matched dollar for dollar on Giving Tuesday. So mark your calendars for November 29th and be part of fulfilling the mission through Southeastern Seminary. Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You are listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Okay, I'm convinced. I need to care for those that I've sent. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about caring for the sent ones. Today we're going to spend some time talking about a way that you can do that. Any church, any size, uh, any ministry, how do you care for those that God has called from your church? Hey, welcome back in the studio, Dr. Anna Dobb. Anna, welcome. Thanks. Glad to be back. Man, every week Anna shows up and uh, takes us on a, a historical journey or contemporary journey to help us meet some people, uh, many of whom um, we've never heard of. And some uh, we have, but we get a little bit different twist on the story. But Anna, talk to us a minute today about stories from the sent ones. Who do we get to meet today? We're going to talk about Hannah Hunt Lyle. Okay. Uh, now, again, I'm assuming this is another woman that most of our listeners have not heard of. Um, and if they have, it's normally in conjunction with her husband, George Lyle. That's right. Uh, most likely, we don't know this for a fact, mm-hmm. but most likely she was the first American woman to serve as a missionary. Okay. Um, again, that's only kind of come out recently as mm-hmm. people have had, have had have shown more of a light on like George Lyle's life. That's right. Yeah, we talked about uh, his life last mm-hmm. season. Uh, George Lyle is um, in the last several years become more and more known. In fact, even here at Southeastern, we have a, one of our college houses named after him. But now we have to realize there was a partner. Yeah, he had a wife. Uh, we actually don't know a whole lot about her, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's important for us to to, to know the names of mm-hmm. some of these people and, and to know the story as much as we can. Absolutely. So uh, Hannah Hunt was most likely a, was a slave, not mm-hmm. most likely. Hannah Hunt was a slave. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have no record of her birth as far as I know. Wow. And she married George Lyle uh, around 1770. Okay. Uh, George, George's master, Deacon Sharp, actually set him free. Okay. Uh, but we don't have any record of whether she was actually owned by the same man hmm. um, or not. And if she was, we have no record that she was ever set free by him. Wow. Okay. Um, and so at, at some point in this, uh, Trulson argues that, that George moved his family to Savannah so that his wife and his children could be freed. This is a little piece of Revolutionary War history I didn't know. Okay. But apparently uh, the British would actually uh, try to disrupt the economy in the South hmm. by uh, allowing slaves to run away to some of their occupied territories and they would be declared free. Interesting. They would get there. So I didn't, I didn't know this. Nope. Um, but apparently they occupied Savannah and George decided to move his family to Savannah so that his wife and children could be free. Okay. Um, and so 
The problem is that when the British are defeated, uh, George has this recognition of we can't stay here. Right. Um, and so he decides to indenture himself to a British colonel okay. and travels to Jamaica. Yep. And this is where um, we kind of know a little bit more about the story with George and, George and Hannah. They actually formed the First Baptist Church of Jamaica. Okay. And uh, did missionary work down in Jamaica when there really wasn't any at mm -hmm. that time. And Reed Trulson claims that years later when British Baptists arrived, there were more than 8,000 believers in Jamaica. Wow, what a ministry. What a legacy. Now, uh, the, all the people who talk about Hannah, um, specifically I'm looking at like, uh, Reed Trulson, uh, Reed Trulson's work, but he, he, he makes the claim that we don't know a lot about her mm -hmm. ministry at this time. Um, but we do know that there were, were men and women who work, who served in the church. Right. Um, we do know that, uh, th that George viewed Hannah as his partner most likely. Okay. Um, and so even though we don't know much about her ministry mm -hmm. and the, the exact details of her ministry, right. we can believe that God used her in mighty ways in that time. Sure. The legacy has to be there, right? Men and women coming to faith, men and women growing in their faith. And so exactly. what a great, uh, great story. Great reminder that God uses all types of people in all types of ways to, uh, to invite us to be involved in his mission. So thanks a ton. What a great story, Anna. Thank you. Hey, Keelan. Hey, Scott. Man, I'm glad you're here today. We're going to continue our conversation uh, talking about uh, care for those that we've sent. And today, uh, we'll do this a little bit differently. Uh, last week, we interviewed uh, John Bartuska. Next week, we're going to be interviewing uh, Ryan Martin, one of our trustees who's written a book on missionary care. And today, I'm going to interview you. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> for those of you who may not know it, for before Keelan uh, came back to Southeastern, he served uh, in a leadership role in Houston, Texas for the Houston Baptist Association. And as part of that, he worked with local churches uh, in their care for their missionaries. And so I'm just going to talk to Keelan today about a model that he has worked with and helped develop uh, through those churches. Just how do we help lead people in caring for missionaries. And so, Keelan, this is me interviewing you to talk a little bit about a ministry you used to do and still find very important. That's right. So it's a little bit awkward. Uh, we're going to make the best of it. I think it'll be really helpful because we have people sure. who are at different size churches and different involvement of churches, but after a couple of weeks our talking may say, you know, I think our church probably needs to be more involved in missionary care. Yeah, well, one of the things that I think, uh, at least as we get to looking at some of this stuff, I so where I was in Houston, I was working with churches from you know twenty five to thirty people up to some of the biggest churches we have in the United States, right? Houston, Texas, and uh, so we always want to be concerned about creating processes that are really going to work in a number of different mm -hmm. contexts. Uh, in fact, I, I hope you all hear as we talk kind of week after week after week about this issue of missionary care, that it is not only a thing that big churches can do. Right. That's a repeated refrain that you're going to hear out of us. Uh, we think it is the obligation of every local church to both be involved in the Great Commission right. and therefore caring for those that we have sent. Right. And now, if that's true, what are some processes that, you know, your tiny church, your normative-sized church, your gigantic church could use in order to scale out that kind of ministry? Yeah, and today we want to talk about a very simple concept in the local church known as advocacy teams. 
and this is something that you've promoted. Keelan, and before we really define advocacy teams, um, what would be some of the advantages or or what would be the benefit of your church or any church developing a team that's advocating for and caring for those that it's sending? It's a great question. Don't want to bury the lead here. Let's go ahead and get that out front, Right. right? So there are a number of benefits to being involved in something like this, having some kind of structure that, and you'll hear this, and I'll unpack it a bit more when we get into it, allows your regular congregation members to be directly involved in the care of your your missionaries. That's essentially what we're talking about with an advocacy team. And I'm going to give you three kind of real quick ways that I think it actually puts a shot in the arm for mobilization in general. Uh, One of those is if you care well for the missionaries you've already sent, your members who might be mobilized see the positive example, and it starts to produce confidence in them Mm -hmm. that you'll care for them as well. One of the big questions on the mind of somebody who's thinking, am I supposed to pick up my family and move overseas to be a missionary, or are we supposed to move across the country and go plant that church? Is uh, who's going to take care of us when we go? Am I going to be all by myself over here? Yeah. And if I'm watching my church take care of those we've already sent well, then I'm going to have the confidence. So it creates this example mm-hmm. of how your church would handle them if they were to go. And that's a really important thing concerning mobilization. Another one, though, is, of course, involvement. Mm-hmm. So if you start using just your regular old church folk to take care of the missionaries that you've sent, it gets them involved in the story of what's actually happening there. So they start learning about what your missionaries are doing. They start hearing the prayer requests. They start having the conversation with those missionaries. And in doing so, it has really the same kind of effect that we suggested short-term mission trips do. It almost becomes a bit of a a mobilization engine where though you may wind up finding, a lot of churches do, if they get real heavy into something like an advocacy team approach in their church to taking care of their missionaries, that frequently their next missionary actually comes off of an advocacy team. Wow. And so you see this dynamic that starts to happen because the more people you involve in taking care of your missionaries, the more likely you are to see some of them mobilized. Uh, And then finally, I actually think there's some experience that comes from doing this that almost serves as a passive equipping process for those that you would send. Now, don't mishear me here. I don't think just having served on an advocacy team gives you all you need to know to be a really good missionary. It's not what I'm saying. However, by being a fly on the wall, so to speak, as you are hearing and seeing and realizing how missionaries are dealing with the things they're dealing with in their setting, you actually get to learn a bit about how you'd handle that yourself. And so in doing that, it winds up being a way that you start the equipping process for somebody, maybe even before they know Uh, for how to go be a church planter or how to go be a missionary. So there's three real easy benefits right there, and I think every one of them starts to become a driver of mobilization in your church. Yeah, that's great. So in other words, the advocacy team concept is part of mission mobilization. It's also part of discipleship and Christian growth and preparation. So all that said, we've thrown this word around a bunch of times. What is about an advocacy team? And that really leads to the question here, What do we mean when we say an advocacy team? What is an advocacy team? So advocacy team is almost an unfortunate title. Okay. Um, I I like the title. I think it best describes kind of what we're doing here. And, I mean, take it or leave it. But what we tend to mean by it when we use the term, uh, the idea is that the team 
is a group of people in the church. It's going to have a leader, typically mm-hmm. a couple of leaders maybe. And then it'll be made up of uh, four, eight, ten individuals okay. from the church who serve as the advocate okay. for that missionary. Now, advocate works in two directions. Okay. So this group is responsible for representing the local church mm. to their missionary on the field. Okay. And they're responsible for representing their missionary and their unique needs back to the church. Okay. So they're advocating in both directions, essentially. Uh, they stand in the place, so to speak, in the gap mm-hmm. for whatever missionary unit, missionary family, church planter family, they're engaging in advocacy for. Uh, they're the ones that make sure that missionary stays on the mind of the rest mm-hmm. of the congregation, and they're the ones that are in regular communication on behalf of the congregation back toward that missionary. So that's really what we're talking about when we say advocacy team. Yeah, that's good. You know, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about uh, the necessity of doing care ministry, one of the questions that we, we raised was how how can we stay in contact with one another given the distance and the complexity of it? And so the advocacy team, really, I like the way you say that. Uh, it, it represents the church to the field and the field to the church. And so in a way, we're standing in the gap saying, hey, uh, hey, uh, missionary on the field, don't forget you have a church over here who cares about you. And church over here, don't forget you have a missionary who needs your care. So I really like this this notion of advocacy, even if you don't like the title, you get your title, by the way, when we make that thing <laughs> yeah, up. So, right. so that said, what does it look like in a, in a church? I'm sure that each team is going to look some, somewhat different, but, uh, but in general, what might the makeup of the team look like, their ministry strategy look like? Yeah, that can be really varied, I think. Uh, there's some things that I would suggest are probably regular best practices okay. for most uh, you're going to want your advocacy team probably to meet on a regular basis. They're going to want to get together themselves on a regular basis. Um, I would suggest maybe monthly. That tended to be when, when I was helping churches think through setting something mm-hmm. like this up. I would suggest monthly. It's a pretty good rhythm for most. Uh, maybe too much may not mm-hmm. be enough depending on the, the needs of the missionary, right. and it may ebb and flow, right? There may be a, a season where they need to be together more regularly than that or a season where they can lean out of being together that regular. But the opportunity for them to get together in order to make sure they are taking care of those needs uh, of course, as you're getting together, there's a couple of things you're going to want to be doing. Sure. You're going to want to be praying for your missionary, okay. right? So a lot of times these meetings, they take the shape of a prayer okay. meeting. Uh, and so they'll have members of a team that may or may not invite others from the church uh, to participate in regular mm-hmm. prayer uh, as a part of this. Uh, another thing they may want to do at this meeting is video with their missionary if they can. So this becomes an opportunity for them maybe to get together once a month and just have an opportunity to hear and update themselves Mm -hmm. and and stay connected so that, you know, there's a bunch of smiling faces on the other end of that screen for that missionary family that's trying to hack it out out there. Uh, So that's another thing that they would do. Uh, In addition to that, they really set a strategy, Mm -hmm. so to speak, for how we're going to care well for this family. Uh, each missionary family or each missionary unit, missionary couple, person, church planter, it's all diverse, right? And in every one of those instances, the contexts are diverse and the circumstances are diverse. So every one of those situations is going to have a, a unique setting, a unique need. Um, 
And in order to meet the unique need, this team decides what's best to accomplish that. That's going to, for some, look like, hey, we need to put together a particular care package because there's this need right now. And a care package would take care of that issue. Uh, It might be uh, the realization that it would be a good idea for some of us to put together a short-term mission trip to go visit these people on the field uh, and just encourage them or maybe to work alongside of them. Mm -hmm. Depending on how accessible the missionaries are, they may have a particular strategy thing on the field they're doing and saying, hey, you know, we need some extra hands right now to come help us do this particular evangelistic strategy. And it's a short-term thing. Well, okay, maybe we can pick up and go work alongside of them. It may be, man, we're having a real rough go of it emotionally right now. It's hard. And so really what they need is just somebody to come give them a hug Mm. and somebody to sit alongside of them and weep with them over something. And so it may not be missions work as far as the task is concerned related at all. It could be member care related. Uh, And so looking at different ways to do that, this team really sets the strategy on how to come up with those kind of things. And there's all kinds of unique things you can do in order to to do that. And there's one last component that I think every team has to consider, uh, and that is helping with departure Mm. and arrival. Okay. So if an advocacy team is done ideally, in my estimation, the advocacy team is formed before the missionary unit leads. Wow. Okay. So if the one who is going is able to recruit and enlist mm. their own advocacy team, they get to meet with them before they go. And this team gets to help mm-hmm. them leave well. So the logistics of getting sent, the logistics of getting stuff packed up, being able to have that going away party and right. throw in that forum before that missionary gets on a plane. And then on re-entry and arrival, mm. once they get back, say they're on stateside assignment, right. where, where they're going to stay, uh, who's going to let them borrow a car, all of those kind of issues become real live issues uh, when they get back for either a season or even long term, mm. if they have to come back from the field. And so this team takes care of departure and arrival as well. You know, it's, it's it, as I'm listening to you talk, it's not a really complicated thing. It's not. I mean, we, you know, we've, we've had conversations when we deal with more complicated, logistically complicated issues, but uh, when it relates to care. But in this situation, it's pretty simple. Uh, you have one person who spearheads the group, have four, five, six people who are responsible for that missionary, and just on a regular basis, just have a prayer meeting and hear from and, and set the strategy for uh, for the church. And so that, you know, again, and I think the, the long-term benefit for the missionary in the church uh, is significant given the, the simplicity of what you're actually talking about here. So let's just say we're convinced. Um, I'm convinced, obviously. We wouldn't be having this podcast, but let's <laughs> pretend that somebody out here listening is convinced. How do we get started um, on the advocacy? Now, you talked in the, when you gave the last answer, it would be better if we started before the missionary left. Well, if that happened, then the person on our podcast is not asking, how do I get started? Right. Okay. Now, uh, but for those who said, ah, we kind of missed the mark, or We've never sent missionaries, but we're compelled that this is something we ought to do. Or perhaps there's a missionary who says, I really need an advocacy team back at this church that sent me or another church. Talk about getting this thing off the ground. Yeah, so you're right. There's a lot of kind of common sense stuff we're talking about. This is just caring well for people, right? Um, getting it off the ground is also common sense in some some instances, some settings here. So let's just talk through some of the practical things that can help somebody do that, right? right? So you mentioned two or three issues there. One, like let's let's go back to the I'm the missionary that's getting ready to leave. 
Okay. Develop your advocacy team before you leave the church. Uh, this can be done grassroots, by the way. It doesn't have to be a thing where you've got some kind of wide rollout as a church strategy. Just get a group of people that are willing to pray for you. Get a group of people that are willing to, to take care of you from here while you're gone. You have a small minimum. group. Yeah, you have Sunday right. school class. You have parents. That's it. Uh, friends. Somebody can get this thing started. Pull them together. So identify somebody who'd be willing to champion this. They'd be willing to say, while we're gone, we'll make sure this team has members on it. Uh, so get yourself a team leader, and then alongside that team leader, have start recruiting a team. Start having other people that are there. You want somebody that is probably a primary um, leader, though, for the sake of continuity. Mm. This will allow you to have a commitment, a long-term commitment from at least one person, one couple, to, to ensure that this thing keeps going. Uh, now, if you've not left yet, get it before you go. If you have already left... And you're sitting there saying uh, from the field right now, you're listening to this podcast and you're going, oh, it would be a great idea for me to have one of those. Um, reach out to your church and just suggest the idea. Uh, there's a good chance that you can in, in your head already be thinking of the people in your church that know, you know, you know, they're praying for you. Uh, there may be somebody from that group that you could ask directly from a distance and say, hey, this is. This is a concept I heard on this podcast. It sounds like a good idea. Let's take a run at it. If that's you and you're interested in this, feel free to email me, by the way. I've got a document. I'm actually sitting here looking at it that we used when we were helping churches build this in Houston. It's a simple thing, and I'd be happy to send that on to you. So if you're sitting in a, you know, out in a hut somewhere wondering how do I get this for myself or some city across the across the world wondering, that's an option, right? So let's reach out to somebody at the church and, and try to get that to happen. If you're a church that says we should have these, we've become convinced that leaning into missionary care might help us start mobilizing our first missionary. We don't have missionaries yet. Um, I'm going to encourage you, let's reach out and find a missionary to care for. So this is a conversation now with the International Mission Board, or this is a conversation with the North American Mission Board. Say, hey, what church planter could we come alongside and care well for them? What missionary could we come alongside and care well for them? And then on the church side, be finding that champion and having them develop the team. And from there, you're connecting to a missionary through one of our denominational sending agencies, one of our partners. Yeah, no, that's great. And again, the the simplicity of the process is what I think is genius about this advocacy team. But the impact is great and significant. But what it, it just requires some people deciding we think this is important. Uh, it's import, too important for one person to try to do by themselves. Um, but to try to get it some complex system, maybe more than you can bite off at, at this time. So let's just start simple. A small group of people who say we'll advocate to the missionary on behalf of the church and to the church on behalf of the missionary and represent this whole, uh, this entire journey. You mentioned having a document, and uh, that document could be made available if somebody would reach out to you at the Center for Great Commission Studies mm -hmm. uh, here at Southeastern. Hey, we'd like, like to know more about that, and we'd be glad to talk with you about what it takes to, uh, to have an advocacy team or a, an advocacy team ministry in your church. Absolutely. And it may be that your church has more than one missionary. We maybe have one missionary, maybe have none. Uh, but this is something that you can really begin to do that gets the ball rolling as you think about missionary care. Yeah, the uh, 
beauty of the model is it does really scale. So if you're a church that's got, you know, 10, 15 missionary and church planner units that are out there scattered all over the place, this is a way that you can ensure they're all cared for. Uh, if you're getting ready to start on your first, you don't have to have anything fancy. This costs zero dollars mm-hmm. to get off the ground. And so it's a way to lean into real care without having uh, any kind of budget dedicated to it whatsoever. You just have to have people who are willing. And even then, we're talking four to eight. We're right. not talking 48. And, uh, and so it, it becomes really accessible for any church at any, any phase or stage of this thing. Uh, and so it is a thing that I encourage churches to really consider uh, in order to take care of those they've sent and create a, a good runway and a good um, field in the church, so to speak, mm-hmm. for mobilization. Right. Yeah, it's great. And listen, we appreciate you tuning in to this episode. I hope it's been helpful. This whole series is designed to equip you as a church uh, for mobilizing, raising up your members for the sake of God's mission, but also caring for those that you send. We've said all along the way that our God is a missionary God, that we are his missionary people, that he's laid out for us this, uh, this obligation uh, of seeing uh, the nations come to faith in Jesus and doing our part uh, in accomplishing that. And missionary care is a key element of that. And so we appreciate you hanging in here with us. We've got one more episode that's part of our uh, four-part episode on missionary care and mobilization. So tune in to us next week. Uh, do us a favor. Hit us up on one of your uh, social media sites. Uh, feel free to pass this on to anyone else. If there's any way that we at Southeastern can assist you in this ministry development, don't hesitate to reach out to us. That's the reason that we're here. Uh, we exist to help equip our students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, you as the church are those that have placed us here, and we're here to help support you as you seek to fulfill God's mission. Hey, welcome back. Uh, now we're back to our uh, episode on Out of the Tower. Dr. George Robinson is here uh, to talk to us a bit. So, George, what do you have for us this week? Yeah, so this season we've been talking through the core missionary task, uh, entry, evangelism, disciple-making, gathering together, developing leaders, partnership, and exit. And so uh, over the last several segments, we talked through entry strategies and evangelism strategies, but we're going to make the turn here to what do you teach a brand-new believer? What is a good entry disciple-making strategy? Great. Let's talk about that. And so what we use is a tool called the 411. I don't know if you remember when— when we were younger, a lot of uh, millennials may not, uh, this is not going to connect with you, but when we were younger, if, Information. You di- if you didn't know the phone number for something, you know, you want to order pizza, you didn't have a phone book, you would dial. 411. And they would say, information. information. Can I help you? And they say, can I get ask. a number for Domino's Pizza? That's all right. That's right. And so the 411 as a disciple-making strategy, it's a simple tool that you can use a single sheet of paper Fold it in half, and and that makes four uh, panels on that sheet of okay. paper. And each of those four panels, you're going to ask a different question. Uh, the first panel is going to be, why should I share my faith? Okay. So with a brand-new believer, right away, if you've trusted Christ, then um, you need to know what that means. What are mm-hmm. the implications? So why should I share? 
we take them to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, and in that passage, what they're going to see is they've got a dual identity. Mm-hmm. If a person is in Christ, they are a new, creation. a new creation. Exactly. So that's one aspect of your identity that gives you the opportunity to disciple them in the area of abiding with Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And what it looks like to cultivate the inner life in your relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. Put off those things that are old. Put on the new um, and so the second aspect of identity surfaces in the latter part of that passage where Paul says that you're not only a new creation in Christ, you're also an ambassador, ambassador for Christ, right? And so for a brand-new believer to understand that they're a new creation and an ambassador, and then I work through hmm. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 and say, here's what an ambassador's job description is, right? It's to go, to make disciples— and to baptize and teach obedience to all things. And you recognize you're doing it under the authority of your leader who sent you and that his power is always and his presence is always with you. So why should we share? It's because you're a new creation in Christ and you're an ambassador for Christ. Mm -hmm. You turn that page over, and on the back of that, you ask the second question. Okay, if if I'm an ambassador for Christ, then who do I share with? Mm -hmm. Well, that's when you bring in your entry strategy and you help them to map their circle of influence, map their oikos. Who do I share with? I put their name right in the middle and Mm. say, okay, tell me somebody who's near to you but far from God, Mm. where you live, where you work, where you play, Mm. and help them to map out their circle of influence and then to begin to pray on a regular basis. And I actually offer to go with them. Uh, in order to Super. help them to share what God has done in their life, that they're a new creation in Christ. Uh, the third panel on that piece of paper, so you've got on the front, mm-hmm. why should I share? On the inside, who should I share with? On the opposite side of that page, uh, what do I say? Mm. Well, that brings in our evangelism strategy. 15 seconds. You share your story in 15 seconds, and you share God's story. Mm. And we train them using the three circles gospel conversation tool. So share your story and share God's story, work through that. And then finally, you flip that piece of paper over and say, okay, um, all of these things are good, but when are we going to do it? Mm. And so we actually schedule out, when are we going to pray? Mm. When are we going to care for these people who are far from God, but near to you? And when are we going to share with them Mm. and put that on a, a plan where now there's an expectation, okay, within the next week, I'm going to go with you. We're going to pray every day for Joe, um, who works with you. Right. And then sometime in the next week, I'm going to go with you uh, to help you to share your story and God's story with Joe. And so just a very simple tool uh, that answers basic questions that will help leverage a brand new believer to not only be a disciple of Jesus, but to become a disciple maker. That's great. And so you do this, so you lead somebody to faith in Christ, or you meet somebody who says, I just became a believer, would somebody mentor me and disciple me? And you just start, hey, let me show this piece of paper. This is a great place to begin. Yeah. So I want you to know what it means for you to be a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So you think about Jesus. He started his ministry by saying, follow me and I'll make you fishers okay. of men. So follow and fish. Um, John documents and he talks about abide and bear fruit. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul talks about it and he says new creation ambassador. So this dual identity is all the way through the New Testament. But unfortunately, most disciple-making plans that uh, people have used just focus on the new creation aspect 
not on being an ambassador for Christ. So uh, the, the quicker you can get a new believer sharing their faith, the more likely they are to be a lifelong disciple. That's maker. great. Great plan. Thank you so much for talking to us about that. Absolutely. It's the 411. Amen.